2: All right, it is Friday, April 29th, 2022, and it is indeed a heck of a morning here on the MMA Fighting Twitter spaces and soon to be on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. I am Mike Heck. Like I said, it is Friday. I love Fridays, Fridays are wonderful. And it's a free for all Friday here on Heck of a Morning, which means we turn the show over to you. You create the topics. You create the discussion points. Maybe we banter a little bit. I'm basically going to answer your questions. I'm going to get your thoughts on stuff. Maybe react to some of the things you say. And we're just going to get after it for the next, I don't know, however long. You decide that too. Probably an hour at the most, but you guys decide. We've had free for all fries that went 90 minutes. We've had them that went 75 minutes. We've had them that have gone 45 minutes. So up to you. There's a lot to discuss, as always, of course. The UFC is a big event. Well, I mean, big might be a little bit of a stretch, but a fun event. Tomorrow, UFC Vegas 53. Fantastic main event. Very much looking forward to Rob Font versus Marlon Cheeto Vera. That is a fantastic fight. Very excited about that. We can continue on with the MMA draft discussion we had yesterday. So if you missed the show yesterday, we had a conversation based upon a draft that we did over – at MMAfighting.com on our podcasting network, on our website, which you can go back and read, where myself and four of my colleagues, we each selected five people on a draft. So the question I had yesterday was if you were an MMA promotion and you could pick anybody and you had the first overall pick, who would you select and why? We had some very interesting uh, s- some very interesting conversations based on that. We also have Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano coming up tomorrow. That is fun. Jake Paul and Eddie Hearn. were kinda having some some banter yesterday. Eddie Hearn just dropping verbal elbows on Jake Paul. Said, I mean, he's just being honest with them. It was like an uncle or dad, like being honest with a kid who says, you know, I want to be this or I want to be that. And you wanna sort of motivate them to do their best, but at the same time you realize that your kid's probably not gonna be that. <laughs> so I mean that that was pretty much the speech that we got. We found out that Casey O'Neill is out of her fight at UFC 276 against Jessica I. Macy Barber now stepping in, which is a very smart move on her part if we're being honest. I like that move. She probably has a very good chance to win that fight. PFL had their event last night. And can I just say, I like the PFL. I like what they're trying to do. And again, another, another night that was paced not awfully. The featherweight division, the heavyweight division, it's just not exciting. It's just not exciting. It's just not. But let's get right into this. It's a free-for-all Friday. I mean, I got to bring him in. Who better to set the tone? This is the uh, – Who? Sh- how should I do this? The Kenny Lofton? The Kenny Lofton of the show. You have to lead us <laughs> off, hit a single, steal second, I'll bunch it a third, and then uh, you're scoring on a sack fly, Jed Mishu. Well, first,
3: up? I don't appreciate uh, your statements about my – my company's heavyweight division as 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 we've discussed. <laughs> we're adding Tommy Aspinall. Gonna add a little bit of spice. gonna be great. Uh second, I'm only calling in because I would love to hear your thoughts on Mr. Cole Strange. Uh Bill Belichick's absolutely insane first round pick out of UTC. Oh man. So <clears throat> Let me, let me, let me just, let me
2: just say this, Chad, you can call back in if you want, if you want to banter about this. Um, so I play, I play men's league softball and, and let me just say this. I, uh, I consider myself in pretty good shape for a four just about a 40 year old guy. I work out, I lift weights five, six days a week. I run a few days a week, but men's league softball is like the only time that I feel like I'm like sniffing 40. Because I'm sore as hell right now. I play two men's league softball games. Play middle infield. I bat second, so I run a lot. But I feel like I'm a 1,000 years old right now. But anyways, it's beside the point. I have like two people on my team who are New England Patriots fans. So I always show up to the game and I wear Red Sox hats. And the Patriots fans will come up to me and they will say – and they're young. They're like in their early 20s. They do not have the Patriots experience of being a fan like I do. They have not been through the pre-Drew Bledsoe days where they couldn't win anything. They couldn't even win like a dodgeball game against a seven-year-old Boy Scout troop back in the early 90s. They just couldn't. So I was there for those days. I was there for the dynasty. I was there for all of it. And these kids come up to me and they t- they say, "Oh, are you excited for the draft? Who do you think the Patriots are going to get? I'm going to say someone you don't expect. Oh, that good? I said, no, that bad. They're probably going to pick a guy that's, should probably go in the fourth round or they're going to trade the pick and get like a fifth and a sixth round pick. No, oh, no way. They're going to go after uh, OJ McDuffie or whatever his name is, the, 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 the really good cornerback. They're going to get a corner. I'm like, they're absolutely not going to get a corner. Do you not understand what the Patriots do in these drafts? They take what you think they're going to do and they flip them upside down. They do this all the time. And what do they do? They drafted offensive guard that should have gone in the fourth friggin' round. A strange pick, pun completely intended. The guy might be good. I mean, listen, they have drafted linemen way too early in the past, and it has sort of paid off for them. But come on, now, this is a this was a shit draft to begin with in terms of who could actually help this team. And you went out and you drafted a guy that you could have gotten in the third or fourth round. It's insane. Absolutely insane. You know what we need? We need Sean Shadi of Showtime MMA to be in that back office drafting for the New England Patriots. Because Sean, and I'm not going to tell you why, but Sean officially won the MMA fighting draft. He officially did. And I'm not going to tell you why he did, but he did. But to answer your question, Jed, sucky draft pick, but par for the course for the New England Patriots. Christopher, what's up, my man? The streak continues. You're like The Undertaker.
4: How you doing, Mike? Good, how are you? Yeah, not bad, man. Um, I just got two questions for you today. I think the the first thing I wanted to kind of, I, I guess, ask you about is what you think Grant Dawson's ceiling is, and do you think he's better suited at 145 than 155? Obviously, at 45, he was quite big. Um, 55, it just seems like he probably just is like a, a run of the mill lightweight, not in terms of talent, but in terms of his size. Um, so yeah, I just want to get your opinion on what you think his ceiling is. Secondly, um, I know you said the PFL featherweight uh, uh, weight class is boring. So I was wondering if you watched the Rio Kudo fight and if you thought he won. I thought the the decision went the wrong way. So I was wondering what your opinion was.
2: Thank you, Christopher. Uh, to address the second question. Yeah, it was super close, man. It was a super close fight. Brandon Lachnane is a good fighter, and he's got a a decent ceiling. But it's weird about him because for a long time, we talked about Brandon Lachnane being like one of those straight-up hosed guys from The Ultimate Fighter. It's like it was an absolute travesty that the UFC didn't give him a contract. But I have to say, the more he fights, and maybe this will change – the more I feel like you know what, it wasn't as egregious of a decision as I thought it was. He's a good, he's a fine fighter, but especially like on those seasons, those early seasons of the show, they're looking for, they were looking for stars, they were looking for things like that. And Brendan Lochneen, personality wise, very very fun cat, very good dude, good fighter, but I remember, I mean, it was just crazy. Everybody unanimously. And I was one of those people too. who was like, how could you not give this guy a contract guide to the media tours, did everything right. But the more he fights, the more I'm like, eh, maybe, I mean, maybe it wasn't as egregious as I thought they still should have given him one, but it's not one of those highway robberies that we have seen in the past with guys like Anthony Romero and even like Austin Vanderford and, and some others. As far as Grant Dawson goes, Grant's a guy that's been on my, my radar for a very long time. I think I did my first interview with, with Grant Dawson in 2015. He's fighting for Victory FC, and then he was going on to fight for Titan FC, and the dude is just running people over at 145 pounds. And then I remember there's a stretch in like 2016 where... He was dealing with like a lot of personal stuff. I think like his him and his longtime girlfriend at the time had broken up and there's a lot going on in his life. And he ended up getting bolted in like 30 seconds in a fight on the regional scene. And then he just kind of got his crap together. He just snapped out of it and he hasn't lost since. Now 145, he's just a massive featherweight. I mean a gigantic featherweight, but super talented guy. And I think the move to 155 is the right one. I mean, I just don't imagine at this point in his career, what is he, like 28 now? Yeah, he's 28. Just turned 28. 28, he's not getting down to 45 anymore. He's just not. He's just too big of a guy. And If you actually like see him in person and you stand next to him, you wonder how he could have made 145 in the first place. He's just a massive, massive guy. He's got a lot of talent. The Ricky Glenn fight was interesting. I think he's going to learn a lot from that fight because Ricky's a dog. Probably the most, well, not the most experienced, but probably the most experienced guy at big level MMA that he's he's fought in his career. Yeah, I'm going back and looking at it for sure. So Ricky Glenn's a dog. He's a grizzled vet. It's one of those fights you just have to learn from. The Santos fight at 155, I think he learned a lot from as well. But here's what I'm really interested in this fight because Jared Gordon is tough, man. This is this is another dog. The road Grant Dawson has got to take at 155 is not going to be an easy one. These are the kinds of fights you're going to have to take. The Ricky Glens, the Jared Gordons, these tough veterans who are just never going to go away. And Jared's one of those guys. Jared has been through a lot in his life. He's been very public about that. But Grant Dawson has also done something I never thought he would do. Never thought this was possible. AK is on the line, and I know how he feels when we make our listener picks about the James Krause cheat code. Glory MMA. Grant Dawson was like the guy. He was like the the homegrown student, teacher, coach, up-and-coming guy. He was Glory MMA. Like when you when I when I thought of Glory MMA, I thought of James Krause and I thought of Grant Dawson. There are a lot of guys who have come through there. There are a lot of guys who are staples there. But Grant Dawson, to me, was glory MMA. And he's not there anymore. Went to American Top Team. So he did his entire camp at ATT. Him and his girlfriend now, another fellow fighter named L. Wegman. They moved to Coconut Creek. They moved to the Miami area. They're ATT fighters now. I like the move for him. It's a, it's a change of pace. It is surprising. But it's it's not... It's, it's just a surprising move. I'm not surprised to see people cross-train and go to different gyms, but to straight-up move from Glory to ATT, I mean, listen, didn't see it coming. So I'm really interested to see how that fight's going to play out. Now we have sort of a Miami or South Florida gym versus South Florida gym rivalry, So I think Jared Gore is a Sanford guy. I know he cross-trains a lot in that area, and now Grant Doss is an ATT guy. It's going to be a grueling fight. For as long as it lasts and obviously the longer this fight goes for Jared Gordon the better but we'll see what happens. It's a big opportunity for Grant Dawson and he's at this point now where if he's going to go on a run because he's made made bold proclamations since I've talked to him I'm going to get to the UFC by this age, by this age I'm going to be in the top 15, by this age I'm in the top 5, this age I'm a champion. If he wants to hit that, that last goal or any of those previous two goals, it's got to be Jared Gordon. He's got to do it now. That run has to start now, especially in this division. Let's get Zeke in here, and then we'll get my man Tristan in here. I mean, we have a bunch of you. Motivated, Indigo, Michelle, you're all coming in here. Zeke, what's up? Free for
5: all Friday. Welcome back, Zeke, for the week at least. Uh, but Mike, you're the man. I always tune in when I can uh, on the podcast for him. If you guys don't, you guys are obviously just missing out. I will be quick and short. First things first, I want to join into this little draft thing. Uh, And with the 99th pick in the all UFC MMA, heck of a morning, BTL draft, the Zeke select, give me Sean O'Malley. Uh, I honestly think that if you're going to go off a star power and putting butts in seats, if you're going to draft Patty Pimlet, he isn't really the best fighter, but yes, he's going to put butts in seats. I think Sean O'Malley, if you don't like kick him hard, is a very good fighter. Uh, I think he's definitely going to be, you know, within the top 15 in Bantamweight, you know, for the years to come, whether it be five to seven, hopefully he stays healthy and does make that rise at the top. We'll see if he does get that fight with Pedro. But, uh, yeah, that's how I'd start off my promotion late with this pick. And secondly, Mike, I am interested to see what you think about our fight night main event. I am not going to lie. I'm super excited for Font versus uh, Mr. Vera. I think this is a huge opportunity for Mr. Vera, especially coming off of that – you know, early stoppage of Sean O'Malley. He's got all the hype train, all the, you know, KO kick of, I don't even want to mention it, Alexander. I'm thinking of you right now. I won't mention who Vera just knocked out. It's like a, you know, an invisible creature. Um, But yeah, (laughs) very excited for that. We'll see if uh, he can contain Font's jab up the middle and uh, maybe cruise to a victory. I'm very interested to see how this fight plays out because Vera ad dog price is very interesting for some betters across America, but yeah, uh, I will shut up and interested to hear your preview of the main event.
2: Thank you, Zeke. Yes. Yeah, Sean O'Malley was one of those guys that we all collectively agreed that we're all surprised. Nobody drafted him in our draft in the top 25 because Sean is one of those guys that in a fantasy sports kind of a draft fits the mold perfectly. He's young, He hasn't hit his ceiling yet. People like him. He's got value. He wins almost all of his fights. He's a great draft pick. And I, will we do this draft next year? I think Sean O'Malley will probably not get out of the first round of the the next draft, for being honest. We'll see who he fights next. I do like the Pedro Munoz idea, and usually when Sean O'Malley asks for something, he gets it. But I don't know. Maybe he won't. Maybe they'll... The relationship between Sean, Sean O'Malley and the UFC is kind of rocky. They both just, I don't know, it's not on the same page. And Sean has been very vocal about how he wants to pursue his career and wanting more money, and we know how the UFC feels about that. They don't give you promotions. They don't give you raises. They usually frown upon things like that. So who knows? Maybe they'll give Sean O'Malley like the toughest matchup they can. Maybe they'll throw him in there with Mirab or... Throw him in there with somebody like Ricky Simone that's just gonna just put on a grueling pace on him. As far as the main event for tomorrow goes, I love the main event for tomorrow. It's tremendous. It's an excellent, excellent main event. As Jose Young's likes to say, and probably will if he's on our preview show. This is a high-level martial arts competition. Right now, looking at the betting lines via our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook, Rob Font, minus 125 favorite. Some money is coming in on Marlon Vera from yesterday plus 105, 50-50 fight for me. I have questions more about Marlon Vera than I do Rob Font. So I said this yesterday, from a betting perspective, this is a dog or pass situation. Unless you're going to parlay, unless you're that confident in Rob and can parlay him across the board. I, like, I know minus 125 isn't like the steepest line at all, but I just feel like there is some value in a 50-50 fight on anybody with plus money, even at plus 105. My official pick will be Rob Font by decision. But it's a, it's, it's a close fight. Like th- th- It's a really, really close fight. I'm curious to see what Marlon looks like in this fight because it's a five-rounder. Because he was losing the Frankie Edgar fight until he won it. That third round was... Things start to turn the corner for Marlon. But he usually loses the first round. He usually loses, like half or a little more than half of the seconds, and then he turns it on in the third. Is he going to pace himself in that way? Is he going to come out and lose the first two rounds and then come out midway through the third and then try to take over in four and five? I don't know. This is his first time doing this in the UFC. Rob Font, third straight fight doing this in main event spot. Cody Garbrandt, he ain't going to get tired. Went five rounds with Jose Aldo. And again, for those who want to learn more about judging criteria in MMA, Rob Font versus Jose Aldo might be the absolute best fight to watch when it comes to how to judge a fight in 2022. Because, again, you look at statistically and you haven't watched a second of the fight, you go to UFC stats and look at the stats, Aldo versus Font, and hadn't watched a second of it, you would have thought Rob Font beat the hell out of Jose Aldo for five rounds. Because Font just lit him up on the stats. But that doesn't matter. You can land a... You can land 55 unanswered strikes, but if you get knocked down with a big right hand, you lose the round. And that's what happened. So this is a great fight. Really looking forward to it. The cards, this card is not bad. It's not bad. Arlovski, Jake Collier. I know that's uh, Jed Mishu's people's main event. Andre Feely, Joannison and Brito is is interesting. Brito is a is a bright prospect. But they're throwing that man to the wolves right off the bat. Dawson Gordon's good. Let's see if Tristan Connolly can can stick around and beat a, a, a grizzled guy like Darren Elkins. Of course, when Gerald Mearshart fights, sign me the hell up, fighting Christoph Jocko. By the way, can we give Gerald Mearshart some more credit? This guy went in there with Hamza Shemaev looking terrified. Like, he'll probably tell you the same thing. Walked into that fight looking like he was scared to death, and he got knocked dead in 16 or 17 seconds. And what does this guy do? Bounces back unbeaten since. What a year he had in 2021. This fight with Christoph Jaco is very interesting. We got Gabe Green, Johan Lanes, We got Mike Breeden, Natan Levy. Uh, Francisco Figueiredo's back. It's Daniel Lacerda. Gina Mazzani shot at Shannon Young. And we get the UFC debut of Tetsuro Tyra, a, a, a flyweight a lot of people are excited about, taking on Carlos Candelario. Tyra's fun, man. I spoke with him the other day. What a nice guy! And by the way, some for uh, for the gamblers out there, some UFC history being made on the bookend. Alexander Romanov, the biggest favorite ever in a UFC fight. AK, listen to this. Alexander Romanoff, a minus twenty two hundred favorites against the returning Chase Sherman, plus eleven 1, hundred biggest favorite in the UFC history I've been able to confirm that but I've never seen a UFC line minus 2200 I've seen like minus 1400s 1500s with like Nunes and Shevchenko fights never have I seen a line this high in the UFC
0: the NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NBA DraftKings brings you same game parlays live betting odds boosts and so much more don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down
7: Justin, good morning. Hey Mike, how you doing? Um, good. My question is because you may have to explain this to me because I don't know how this works. So, like you just said before, you were watching the PFL and you were like not really interested because you're just like, listen. Just I'm assuming that the mindset when you look at the PFO where you're just like, these guys are these guys are not the competition is not great. You know these fighters are not really really that great and we know with the ufc they have partnerships right they have partnerships with lfa they have partnerships with cage warriors or cage Fury fighting and they're able to you know uh, get the best talent and you see like the difference of competition that's why obviously we you know you guys we always focus on the ufc because of the level of talent with bellator and pfl i what is their process of getting talent I, I don't know, like, if Bellator or PFL have partnership with regional promotions where they could, like, inherit those type of fighters that could raise the competition. And I, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't know how they do it. Like, now they were they were able to homegrown Aaron Pico and AJ McKee and fighters of that nature, but still they're just not getting better better fighters where it could raise the competition where it makes you – you know, when you look at Bellator, you're like, oh, I know this guy. Oh, I know this guy. Oh, this guy's great. This guy's amazing. So, like, how does that process work with Bellator? I don't know how Scott Coker does it. I don't know how they scout fighters and things of that nature. So, like, if you – I always – you know, you give this example, like with basketball, I know A.K. Lino's, with the Toronto Raptors and the Miami Heat, for example, those guys can't get free agents pre-agents don't usually come to them. So what do they have to do? They have to build through the draft. But what they do is they look at – every nick and cranny of how to find talent and then develop them and they become good teams and they get to the playoffs year after year. Now, obviously you need that superstar and they were able, and the Toronto was able to get that with Kawhi Leonard and they won a championship, but they, they, you know, obviously that's good management, good front office to find, to look everywhere they can to get better talent. So I just, just explain to me how it works with Bellator and PFL, how they get talent and how they could possibly raise the competition. So, we could watch those organizations like, my goodness, like look at the talent they have now. So just take me through that process for how that works between PFL and Bellator, especially those two organizations. Thanks, Mike. All right, thank you, Tristan.
2: So I will say I'm not all that familiar with the PFL free agent signing process. I would assume that in a lot of ways there's like some Bellator-isms to it where they will take chances. They will take a lot of them. and Sometimes those chances pay off. Other times we have to kind of wait and see. Kayla Harrison, perfect example. Clarissa Shields, perfect example. Like they'll take these chances. And they'll take on some of these fighters like uh, Brennan Lochne and, you know, other fighters that are in the news. And they're smart with that. Like Brennan Lochne and like the whole contender series thing, he goes on the media tour and people really caring. What does PFL do? They lock his ass right up. That was a smart move on their part. Very smart. Now, what Bellator does is they kind of do things in a similar fashion. They will home grow very talented wrestlers or very talented amateur fighters that had really good amateur runs. They feel that they can grow and and become champions in this organization. Sometimes they, they have amateur experience. Sometimes they don't. And I actually think Bellator... And whoever their matchmakers are, whoever builds their rosters, I can tell you it's not Scott Coker that's doing this, uh, this scout work. I can guarantee you that. But they do have a staff of of matchmakers and a staff of, I guess, the matchmakers are kind of talent scouts as well, UFC the same way. And they do a really good job of, like, finding good prospects. They do. Like, I, like Brett Johns was out there. I thought that was a really good signing. And then they went in and... Brett Johns debuted against a guy who actually right now, and I told you this is going to be the case has turned out to be a really good signing for them. And Danny Sabatello, they're really good at just getting guys at the right time. Who still have some gas in the tank. Enrique Barzola is a super underrated guy. He had a decent, a really solid run in the UFC and he probably still had some more gas left in that tank at 135. but they let him go. Bellator scooped him right up. They're also good. Like, the Jared Scogginses of the world. Like I liked those signings. Sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't. It's just, it's just the way it is. They they're very good at scouting, like on the doorstep sorts of fighters. Now they're not necessarily a feeder league, but they have good relationships with the management team. So let's just say like a fighter is wanting to get in the UFC and they win like three regional fights and the UFC hasn't called them. Bellator will just call them and offer them some money. But just just look at some of the guys that they have sort of developed within this organization. They've done a really good job of doing it. Like Grant Neal is one of those guys. Alex Polizzi is one of those guys. Like these guys are climbing up the ranks. And then we look over at guys like Romero Cotton, Dalton Rasta. These are talented fighters. They're very talented fighters. You got Austin Vanderford, another example. UFC didn't want him. We'll take him. Smart move, especially with the attachment to his wife. Johnny Eblen. Could be the middleweight champion this summer, fighting Gegard Mousasi in June. I'll tell you what: I had very little faith in John Salter beating Gegard Mousasi. I had very little faith in Austin Vanderford beating Gegard Mousasi. With all due respect, Johnny Eblen's more. Com- I think Johnny Eblen is going to be more competitive with guard than both of those guys. And then they got guys like Jason Jackson, has always had incredible upside. He's starting to find it now. Jason Jackson was always that guy that, like, okay, here we go. He's on this run. He's gonna go to the UFC. And he's gonna go bananas once he gets there. And then, right when he got that opportunity, something weird would happen, or he'd come up just short. And now he's probably a win away from fighting for a world title. Logan Storley. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. They're they're very good at planting seeds. And you know, the 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 some of the other signings like are just necessary. Like Yancey Medeiros worked out great. One fight deal turns out great. Nick Newell, they've done things like that. Kyle Stewart just got a, a multi-fight deal with Bellator. So, I mean, I don't think it's the roster that hurts Bellator. I think Bellator is a fine roster. It's the promotion. It's them like telling people, hey, you, MMA fan, we have a card coming up on Saturday or Friday. You don't have to go to it. There's no airport in Thackerville, Oklahoma, but you can watch it on Showtime or the Bellator YouTube channel in Canada, but just tell us the fights are happening. Make us care. Don't give us a voiceover from stupid John McCarthy telling us about these fighters. No, that's not going to do it. That's not going to do it. Keep John in the commentary booth. He's not a voiceover guy. He's not a promo guy. Gee, who's a better promo guy? Who's going to get you more amped for a big card? John McCarthy or Ron freaking Perlman? Easy. It's not the roster for Bellator. It's the promotion. PFL could just have some fun now. PFL could do anything. They can put anybody on their roster. They're on a big network. The smart cage, whatever. We can joke all about this freaking smart cage. But they can just have fun. They can do things that we're not going to question. I love the Kayla Harrison bounty. I love the Kayla Harrison spin the wheel, make the deal, make her fight with one arm tied behind her back. Like, let's just have some fun. PFL's there. It's cool. It's hit or miss. The pacing, it's all about pacing for PFL. Bellator's got a good roster. But PFL at least tells you that these fights are happening. And you know when they're happening. And you know where they're happening let's go to Michelle. good morning let's make sure you unmute hello there you go
4: can you hear What's me up? Yes, yeah sir? so my question is regarding the heavyweight division like what would you do regarding matchmaking because obviously you got Jones Miritich, gone Aspinall two of us like, what would you do? regarding the much making.
2: Okay. So as you may have seen, I mean, I think it kind of kind of works itself out at this point. You have to believe that the UFC is just gonna wait on the interim title thing until they can get John Jones and Steep A on the same page. Seems like John's ready to go. Steep A wants to wait till September, which is fine. I'm willing to wait a few extra months for that fight to happen. And I actually, maybe I'm the Prince of Positivity. I feel like we're going to see it. I feel like when the leaves are starting to turn color and starting to hit the ground, we're getting that crisp fall air. We're going to be on the road to a John Jones-Stipe fight. So I'm very happy about that. I think that makes sense. I think we're going to get Curtis Blades and Tommy Aspinall. Tommy Aspinall. Probably in July. I would guess on that London card, either at a main event spot or a co-main event spot. But that's what I think happens. Like we get Blades Aspinall and then we'll get Cyril Gan versus to Iwasa in September. Because I believe, this hasn't been announced yet, but it seems like all signs are pointing towards the UFC making their debut in France. And it's looking like the fall. So if that's the case, we do Cyril Gan, Tommy Aspinall, or not Tommy Aspinall, Cyril Gan versus to Iwasa. And I'm trying to think like how I I would actually do this. It's probably the – yeah, it's probably the way to go. It's probably the way to go. Now, how I would actually do it is I would put – I don't know. I just want to see Ty Tuivasa fight for a title. I just want to see him fight for the belt. Just because he's – I just don't think he's going to get another chance. Because I think he's – I think he loses to all three of these guys. I think he loses to Cyril. I think he loses to Tommy Aspinall. And he definitely loses to Curtis Blades. It's a horrible matchup for him. But man, what a story it would be if Ty Tuivasa goes out there and fights Cyril Gahn in Paris and beats him. Oh, my Lord. It's actually probably really smart matchmaking because Cyril Ghosn is going to get this great, great ovation, this great pop, and people are going to be pissed if Cyril Ghosn loses that fight. But then he loses to Ty Tuivasa, and even like the Houston... Even the, the Houston faithful who were there for Derek Lewis, like even they chaired to Tuivasa. How can you not like that guy? It's actually pretty smart on the UFC sports. So that's something I think will happen. September, or excuse me, July, I think we're going to get Tommy Aspinall versus Curtis Blades. Not announced, not a done deal. That is being discussed. That I know for sure. Uh, if the UFC goes to Paris, I think we'll do Cyril Gahn versus Tai Tuivasa. Maybe August September if they do go there, and then we'll get Joan Stipe in September. That's how I would book the heavyweight division right now. And Derek Lewis fighting Sergey Pavlovich very, uh... very interesting fight. Didn't see that one coming. That was not. A, I'm definitely not getting an Otno No point for that one. Indigo, hey in Mike, how you
3: doing? Good. Um, first all, I just wanted to shout out MMA fighting. You guys kill it every time. Uh, you and A cannot know, and you know Jed the BTL champ and. Everyone else there. Uh, secondly, I'm really glad that you brought up uh, Alexander Romanov because it's kind of wild to me that he was like a minus minus fourteen hundred favorite last week, and now he ballooned all the way up here. I don't know how it how that happened. Um, and lastly, Casey O'Neill is out of her fight with um, Jessica I, with uh, I think it was a torn ACL if I remember correctly, and Macy Barber stepping in. Do you think that? she's in a position to take a fight like that now should she take it slow or like what is what what is this smart for her
2: interesting question uh, i appreciate that yeah the romanov thing is super interesting i think people i think people just saw the photo like the new improved romanov 2.0 where he's like 240 and like six percent body fat which is you know being generous there but Dude's looking, looking svelte, looking shredded. It's a scary dude. Now he's in shapes. Doesn't feel like he's gonna get tired. Like maybe he did in the uh, Juan Espino fight. He's not gonna gas out. Maybe the cardio is just getting better and better. Listen, Chase Sherman, Chase is a dog, man. He's gonna, he's hard to get out of there. Listen, Romanov's gonna win the fight. But yeah, massive lines. I'm not surprised. I think people maybe saw like the that. The health scare, for Sherman, they felt like maybe he was in a tough spot heading in. Now we're adding a potential health scare to the mix. Let's just throw all our money on Romanov, which is wild. I don't know, man. When you see betting lines like that, I don't know. It makes me think, like, what could happen if the underdog actually wins? Like, what if Chase Sherman beats Alexander Romanov? That'd be freaking wild. Absolutely insane. As far as your other question goes, Macy Byron, listen, I think Macy Barber is kind of in a weird spot right now where she was already given the put you over fight. We're going to we're going to fast track you. We're going to give you a fight against like a top 7 fighter and we know you're going to beat her. We as the UFC know you're going to beat Roxanne Modafferi. So we're going to give you your chance. You go out there beat a, a former title challenger, a fighter a lot of people know a top 10 fighter. And then we're going to boost your ass up there. We're going to fire you up the ranking so quickly. And what happened? Roxanne her. injury aside, say whatever you want. It is in the books as a Roxanne out victory. So what that does is that puts Macy in a position where every fight you have from now on is going to be a difficult one. That's why I was very high on the idea that if Aaron Blanchfield beat JJ Aldrich, June 4th, you got to throw Aaron Blanchfield into that Macy Barber fight. Because that's a tough fight, and I know this is kind of like two fighters in that second crop of flyweight contenders. But at that point, like the time for Macy to get these kinds of fights against a veteran that she'll be favored over, it's over. They're they're long gone. You had your chance. You didn't come through. Now an opportunity comes around, and you have Jessica I, who is on a three fight losing streak, I believe, and this is a very winnable fight for Macy Barber. This is smart on her part. This is very smart. If I was like the entire, like it just timing worked out great because Macy just fought. All the other 125ers are booked or injured. Who else is this going to be? Macy steps in, says yes. I'm sure she didn't even hesitate. This is very smart on her part. Now, if this is a different fighter other than Jessica I, I might question it. Like, let's just say like Viviani Araujo was out of her fight with Andrea Lee. I wouldn't recommend Macy stepping in fighting Andrew Lee, but fighting Jessica I have at it. Smart move. I assume Barb will be, by the time that fight starts, a minus 275 favorite. Not counting Jessica I out of this fight because Jessica has been in these situations before where pe- we think this new up and coming prospect is just going to run them over. And then Jessica comes out and gets a win. I don't think that happens here, but I think this is very smart on Macy's part. Motivated Andy. Good morning. You got to unmute, my man. Sorry, man. Andy? There, there, was, a I was, I was, there was a delay. I was questioning your motivation. My tech, it's
6: <laughs> Friday. Don't question my motivation, man. I got a <laughs> What's banging fantasy matchup this weekend between Rob Font and Cheetah Vera. My question is, though so uh, uh, Chase Sherman against. I'm forgetting his name, but the biggest, uh, Romanov, right? Romanov coming in. I saw it at 2500. You said, well, I mean, you listen, said 22. The, the I'm only, sure it's going to come down closer.
2: I mean, the only the only lines that matter are our friends at DraftKings.
6: So it's 20. Right.
2: But there are, uh, there are, we're at 20. There are lines, depending on where you look. There, I mean, there's minus 1800s, but there are minus 2500s out there. So
6: my question is. Are, are are you going to throw away $10 putting it on Chase Sherman? Because I see that and I'm like, man, you know what? I just won't eat pizza tonight. Maybe I get a couple grand off of this. Because these odds are insane. This is exactly how it looked like whenever it was Shana Dobson against Agopova. I just put like 15 bucks on Shana Dobson. Like, there's no reason why you shouldn't. The odds are too amazing to not just a little bit of throwaway money, like, come on big i don't know is it just me am am i just like i don't know just willing to throw away cash that i shouldn't (laughs) because this is just too juicy i just can't i can't not take a little bit of action that's like the degenerate gambler in me i don't even gamble like that i just see it and i go at plus 2500 can i really not do it You're probably thinking to yourself, man, like, I have this feeling, and if you don't put it on and then Chase wins, you're going to be so mad. I mean, I had it with Shayna. I had it with Shayna. I was just like, Agopova, like, at that point, that was her first UFC fight. Shayna Dobson had lost three in a row, I believe. And I was just like, well, I mean, Shayna Dobson has been losing to good people. It's not like she's been losing to nobodies. And then Agopova was just kind of raking in the wind before it ever happened. She was like bad mouthing Shayna Dobson saying like, I'm going to first round finish, whatever. And then she goes out, punches herself out. And I'm just like, are we just, I don't know. I don't know. The odds are probably right. DraftKings is amazing, but I I, I just, (laughs) I don't know. It's that itch, that itch that man, I could be missing out on, you know, 2k off of a pizza. I don't know.
2: I uh hey I listen, I, I'm I'm sure that you are not the only one having these these thoughts. I don't know. Listen, this is unprecedented territory. This is unprecedented territory. We're seeing a UFC fighter as a minus twenty two hundred favorite. We've never seen this before. Not in modern UFC, that's for sure. We've seen Valentina Shevchenko up like in in fights with, with people we knew she was going to beat. And she wasn't even near minus 2200. This is wild. Listen, if you got 10 bucks, if, if you have it and it's not gonna hurt you, if you have like another 10 for the pizza, listen, what you should do is you should go to the grocery store and just buy like, like you know, get get one of those uh, Bobbly pizzas, like make it yourself. Or th- there's companies out there, just you can buy a pizza for five bucks. Just buy a large pizza for five bucks, throw it in the oven, 425 for 16 minutes. And just eat the crap out of it. Is it's not going to be your uh, your local pizza shop, but you're still going to get the pizza taste. And then you still have like another five or ten bucks to throw on on the dog Chase Sherman at plus eleven hundred. I mean, why not? I think we all know what's going to happen in this fight, but you never know. Chase could land a big shot, and Chase has literally no pressure on him. This guy was released from the company like two and a half weeks ago. He's released for like three days. And then he gets a call. Hey, you want to fight this dude on like five days? notice? it's like, okay, I'll fight him. And here we are. Chase Sherman getting an opportunity. He has no pressure on him. Literally none. Because what happens? What happens? He goes out. He's making double what he made in his last fight. He signed to a four fight deal. Although we all know that doesn't mean much. He's expected to lose. And the and the and what's not the beauty of it, but the beauty of it is like Romanov could punch you hard and he could beat your ass, but he's probably just going to choke you. You're probably just going to go out there. You're going to get belly-to-belly suplex. You're going to get choked. And you're going to make double the money you made in your last fight. And everybody expects you to lose. So yeah, not a, I mean, it's not a great spot to be in, but not a bad spot. It's nice. There's nothing scarier than a guy who has nothing to lose. And Chase Sherman literally has nothing to lose. Because even if the UFC is just like, nah, we're going to release you again. This is a weird time. Another heavyweight fight could fo- could fall out and guess who the first call is going to be to? Chase Sherman. This guy's got nine lives, Toke, doesn't he? Doesn't he, Toke? Nine lives, Sherman.
4: What's up, buddy? Hey, Mike. Uh, there was a bit of a delay there, as uh, someone else uh, hinted to as well. Um, so... I don't really have anything on this odds thing other than this is banana peel pricing as uh, I mean, the pricing is such that Alexander Romanov might just slip on a banana peel and you get your value. At this point, the value is on Chase Sherman. So bet on that or bet nothing. Okay. But what I wanted to ask you is the draft is not over, you know, Uh, and uh, the interesting day is always day three because you want to see okay who a teams gonna go after to you know who has the tools but haven't put them together yet and you had your uh fighter draft so i'm i'm just asking you who would be your mr irrelevant who would be your seventh round pick you know the guy that he has all the tools but he has not put them together yet at all but I'm going to take a flyer on him, and he's going to be my future if everything works out. For me, it's Adrian Yanez if he lasts that long. But uh, I'm wondering what you think about it.
2: That is a uh, a great question. I like the Adrian Yanez pick, although I don't think he lasts into the seventh round. See, this is interesting because I have to think about some of the, the characters, if you will, of the fi- of the of the players involved, so we've already drafted five. I don't think Sean O'Malley gets out of the sixth. Eh, maybe Giannis could make it to the seventh. That's not a bad pick. I'm going with right now, just off the top of my head, because I don't think anyone's going to take him. I'm taking Claudio Pueyes with my seventh round pick. I don't think anyone's going. Th- I honestly don't think anybody's going to take him. I don't think any of the other guys are going to take him and there's some value there and he's getting it together. And if he loses a fight, like it's all good. He can just bounce right back. But that's not a bad way to look, but yeah, it's a good question. Can't really go wrong in that spot. I like the Adrian Yanez pick. I think Chris Gutierrez would be good. Muhammad Mahaev was a guy I almost looked at in the fifth. He's a guy that's probably not going to get out of the sixth or seventh round. You know what? If, if that's a no-brainer. If Muhammad Makhachev is there in the seventh round, I'm taking him, like without even hes- without hesitating, because I do believe Muhammad Makhachev is going to be a two division champion. He's going to be the flyweight champion. He's going to be the bantamweight champion. He's that good. He's that talented. He is the definition of a blue chipper. He's that good. I'm telling you, this guy is that good. If you're buying stock at a fighter, you go bananas on Muhammad Makhachev right now. Alright, we'll take a couple more. Hot take Higgins. Free for all Friday, my man. What's going on? Apparently there's a delay on my end. I don't know why. So apologies if you're if you're hearing a delay. I don't know if that's affecting this. Ah, oh, hot take. Let's get Tim in here. Tim Montfels. What's up, buddy? Can you hear me? Okay, yes, sir. Has anybody talked
8: about the uh, back and forth between Jose Aldo and Aljamain Sterling on Twitter last night?
2: No has, and I'm so happy you're going to yes, talk about I'm it. I'm very
8: happy you're interested to talk about it. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts on the matchup. I, I'm not mad. I wouldn't be, have been mad if I saw Dillashaw get the shot. I scored the Sanhagen fight for him. It was really close. I'm not mad at anybody that scored it for Sanhagen, but I think Aldo's fighting just about as good as anyone in that division right now. I think, and the narrative is that stylistically he matches up really well with Sterling. Um, I think he handles his pressure really well if he comes forward, and obviously his takedown defense is really good. Um, but I just kind of want to hear your thoughts on the matchup um, and if you had any early predictions moving forward, because it from what it sounds like, the fight's, getting pretty close to getting signed and done so i'm excited about it and i wanted to hear your thoughts on it
2: i I, listen bantamweight is a very fun division right now there are lots of options for alger sterling and he knows it and he's liking this he's liking this right now because you got aldo you got tj and you even got henry cejudo now right away i'm taking henry cejudo out of this discussion because again if you watch btl And if you listen to this show or any other show, I'm standing on my little soapbox. Nobody cares that Henry Cejudo is coming back. Nobody. Al Jermaine probably cares because he feels like he can win. But I'm telling you right now, more people are going to care about Aljo Dillashaw or Aljo Aldo than they will Aljo Henry Cejudo. Nobody cares that Henry Cejudo is coming back. Nobody. And you know what I've learned? That I was actually wrong. Because I said that one thing people care less about or less engaged with, other than Henry Cejudo, and other than the ultimate fighter, is the Kamara, Usman, Canelo, Alvarez chatter. And you know what? I'm wrong. More people actually care about Usman, Canelo, than they do about Henry Cejudo coming back to fight in the UFC. Nobody cares that Henry's coming back. Literally Nobody except for Henry, Ali, and Henry's coaches and teammates and immediate family. That's it. That's it. Until he actually gets in there and fights somebody. Now, when he gets in there and fights somebody and actually gets in there and the cage is locked, he actually throws a punch. Then I'll be like, okay, he's back. But again, he's not who he says he is. He thinks he's Conor McGregor. And what he is is like, He's got the drawing power of like, and this is no disrespect. I think this this person is phenomenal in a tremendous fight. He's got the drawing power of like Jess Gondj. But he thinks he's Connor. It's crazy. It's crazy. But, anyways, as AK knows, on our on to the next one prediction show, we always go through and we pick our champions, who we think are going to be champions in each individual division at the end of the year. My pick for Banamite was one Jose Aldo. So selfishly I hope it is Jose Aldo because what a story that would be. Jose Aldo ended the year of our lord 2022 as the Bannamy champion. I feel like it balances out the world in positive in, in with positive vibes. I feel like there's a lot of negativity in the world and I feel like just that visual of Jose Aldo holding a Bannamy champion or holding a UFC title in 2022 would we'll just kind of balance it out. Now I don't want to sit here and, and crap on Aljamain Sterling. I'm not. This is this is. I'm not supposed to be really a fan, but I think we're all sort of in agreement. Even if Aljamain Sterling was the most likable guy on the planet, and we all ninety nine percent approved of Aljo. Everybody loved his trash talk and his demeanor. Which, by the way, I do. I thought Aljamain Sterling did such a tremendous job during the entire UFC two seventy three fight week. He turned. He changed me, me completely on that fight because I was like, "Eh, all right, they're gonna fight. It's two good ban. The two best bantamweights. I already know how this is gonna go. Jan's gonna go out there. He's gonna run them over." And by like Thursday, I was like, "You know what? Aljo's got me convinced that he could win this fight, and he did such a good job." But just, just I think everyone just the nostalgia in them just wants to see it happen. Just wants to see Jose hold that title. What a cool moment! What they should do, and I've been saying this for a while now, just do Dillashaw versus Aldo, make it a big fight, five rounds, headlines a fight night, co-main event. You can do five rounds on a pay-per-view. Who's not like who's going to complain if TJ Dillashaw, Jose Aldo, five-round fight is a co-main event on a pay-per-view? The answer is nobody. That answers all the questions because Cerruto isn't getting the title shot. So just throw those two guys in there. Five rounds, let's go. Give them five-round money. Winner gets Aljo. That's what I would do. But if you're giving, if it's like we're having a matchmaker meeting and saying, nope, we're not doing that. One of these guys has to fight for the title. Selfishly, I'm giving it to Jose Aldo. But if we're looking at it from a meritocratic standpoint, we're looking at it from how will the UFC brass do this, they're probably going to give it to T.J. Dillashaw. But... Where does that leave Jose Aldo? I don't know. All right, we're going to take two more. We're going to take KRL, then we're going to take my man WFC. KRL, what's up? Make sure you unmute. I know we're on some kind of delay. I don't know why. What's up, buddy? You unmuted, then you muted again.
9: (laughs) I don't know what's
10: going on. I hear Joe Rogan's voice. My phone's going crazy.
2: Yeah, you're very muffly right now. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. We'll try again another time. Wildlife Fight Club. Send us home in a in a good way, my man. What's going on, brother? What's up, hey, man? Hey, man, first off, appreciate you doing these, man. You're one of the only MMA personalities that get on here and do these, and these are awesome. I look forward to them every morning.
7: Appreciate yes, that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So.
2: <clears throat> oh, no. The year, or the or they just go fill out a piece of paper and go? Because I was thinking, wouldn't it? be better these guys like doctors and a lot of other professions they had like continuing education hours where every year they had to do so much time dedicated to the actual sports so they know what's going on so to to be honest with you i miss like the first half of that you're talking about like judges and refs
7: uh, yeah just like so like the judges are sitting over there they're like oh what's the
2: triangle like do they actually know what's going on or they have to do anything to learn that uh interesting question Thank you, uh, Wildlife Michael. We're trying to get Carol in a minute. Listen, I, I, I don't know. Like, a lot of these judges come from a boxing background, and they just do what they need to do to judge MMA. But a lot of them don't even know how to judge a fight. Like, just listen to a UFC broadcast. Daniel Cormier, one of the greatest fighters to ever fight, has no idea how to score a fight. Like, literally no clue. He has no clue what the rules are. He doesn't know. Like he knows the basics, but he doesn't know like what's a like what deciphers a no contest. Like what's a no contest? What's a DQ? What leads to both of those things? Like he doesn't know. He does not score. And Michael Bisping, God bless Michael Bisping. You could say what you want about his commentary. I actually like Michael Bisping as a commentator, and I know he, he has struggled with the judging and the rules and all that stuff. But at least Michael has tried. At least Michael has tried. He has tried to learn. John Annick has tried to learn. All right. And I think John Anik is the gold standard for all of sports play by play, if we're being honest. And the fact that an NFL team or not team, but like that a network that broadcasts NFL games has not contacted John Annick is a freaking travesty, if we're being honest. But DC doesn't even seem to try. It's just, it drives me nuts. And again, I brought this up before about judges and referees. Who in the blue hell wants to be a judge or a referee right now? Where's the incentive? I mean, maybe there's some incentive of being a ref. There's literally no incentive to be a judge. Who wants to judge? That job sucks. It's terrible. You get absolutely annihilated if you make a wrong decision. Or even if you make the right decision and someone who bet against the person that you scored the fight or bet for the person you scored the fight against, like they're just going to crush you. They're just going to crush you. And if you have a 29-28 for one fight, we're not going on Twitter with a virtual and a verbal and a written standing ovation for you saying, wow, that Adelaide Bird, that's the best 29-28 of the night. Give her a bonus. It's a thankless, shitty job. It's awful. There's no fun. And then the PFL comes out and, they're like, you know what? We're going to do open scoring and we're going to do a computerized and all this stuff. No, you're not. And that, enough of the open scoring conversations. It's gotten to the point where I just don't care. Like, I literally don't care. If you do open scoring, fine. If you don't, cool. I do not care about open scoring at all. State by state, fighter by fighter. If Just talk about the fighters. If the fighters want it, cool. If they don't, I don't give a crap. It does not matter. Enough of the open scoring talk. We've been talking about this all too long. And we all know, especially in the UFC, it ain't going to change. We're not going to get open scoring in the UFC. It's just not going to happen. Even if they go to a state that allows it, the UFC is going to be like, nah, we're cool. Ally Quinta sold me on that forever. Because for a little while, I was on team open scoring. But even now, I was like, it takes the drama out of it. Like, if you know who, who's winning after two rounds and you watch the third round, like, there's no drama. There's drama in the two guys standing there waiting for Bruce Buffer to announce their name or Joe Martinez to announce their name. And I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I understand the need, and I understand why people would want open scoring, but it is not a hill I'm willing to die on ever. All right, let's see if we can get KRL in here. Can we get this to work?
10: KRL, got to unmute. Can you hear me? There we go. What's all right. That was super weird. As soon as you let me in, whatever video was was up on my Twitter would start playing. So I'm like hearing like a fight happening all of a sudden, as soon as you try to let me in, uh, so sorry about that. it's oh, good. What's up? What I wanted to say was regarding Mohammed Bakayev, who I, I am super oh, high yeah. on. But the guy that they're bringing in to fight him, I mean, it sounds like they're bringing, like, usually when they bring in a guy to fight this, like, up and coming prospect, you know, it usually could lean more towards, like, a squash match. Of course, like, it's never actually that that bad. But um, they're bringing in this guy, Charles Johnson, who I know you know from LFA, who is a stud. His only losses are to Brendan Royval in the LFA and this other guy who's been really successful and brave. I don't know if Micaiah is winning that and I really don't. So I'm really excited to see. I expect that the lines are going to be super juice for Micaiah. Just because his uh, first fight was so impressive. I think he's going to end up being like a minus 200 favorite. And I think that's, that's, logically, that's, that, that's ridiculous. This other guy is in such a huge streak. He's super long, super fast. He, he's a Tiger Muay Thai guy. I was super excited to see what happens, because this is going to be a big step up, in my opinion.
2: Uh, well said, KRL. Uh, I, I get where you're coming from. I think Charles Johnson is... The fact that he wasn't signed to the UFC was kind of a travesty. But... I'm. I think this is a fun fight. Like for anyone who feels like is just gonna go in there and just run him over in a minute, you're crazy. Having said that, I do think Baha'i wins, not easily, but I feel like he's going to win. Dominance. Like I honestly, I think he's that good. I think he's that good. Because if you put, if you put Charles Johnson in a fight with Cody Durden right now. I'd favor Cody. I would favor Cody. I would slightly lean on Cody Dirted right now. But it's like, but it's a fight like if I got Charles Johnson at like plus 125, I'm taking Charles Johnson in that fight just because the the odds are there and they're in my favor and Charles is unknown. And I just think, well, I think Mahaib is the future of this division. I think he's the future. He's going to be the future of the Bantamweight division. I actually think he's that good. I think he's going to beat Charles Johnson. And if he's a minus 200, I think he's going to cover that line with spades. And he probably, I don't know if he finishes Johnson, but I think he covers a minus 200. I think this is a, just a, a good fight. I think Charles is going to be there. I think Charles is going to have his moments, but I think Mahaif going to win and maybe take some big shots. It's going to be one of those things where, you're like, damn, that guy's tough. That guy's real tough. Taking two more. We're going to do this real quick. Get the underground Rhino in here. Hopefully, hopefully get this delay thing all figured out. The wheel's spinning. Can we get the rhino in
3: here? There he is. Hey, bud. All I wanted to say is when it comes to the judging thing, so what do you want UFC and MMA to look like in 10 years? You know, with all the judging problems and the scoring systems, is this the same thing? We want to just play off of boxing rules, listening to everybody bitch and moan about all these crazy scoring systems. Mm -hmm. Or do you want to change anything about it? I mean, in all reality, we barely know how to score a, a fight because we can argue all these rules and control time, and uh, who's pushing forward in aggressiveness, and what's a a, a a strike that's hard, what's a strike that's a you know really wobble the guy and stuff like that. You know, we can have those discussions, but what should we really change in the next ten years besides just going off this damn boxing system that doesn't really fit our sport?
2: See, and that's, that's the question. Like, how do we fix it? Because you could talk about things internally. Like, the judges that we have now. Like, what if we put them in, what if we put them, like, outside of the arena? Like, what if we put them in the back with monitors and they just send in their picks? We have somebody watching them. Like, take the crowd out of it. Because we've seen, we have seen a crowd, just, just a crowd, determine outcomes of fights. Just by the way they reacted to things. There have been Diego Sanchez fights where he just throws a punch, like just throws a punch, misses by 7,000 feet. But the crowd's like, yay, good punch, Diego. And the judge's like, ooh, that must have been something. 10-9, Diego, even though he landed like two significant strikes. That's the things that drive me crazy. But I don't know. Again, the, honestly, the way to change this is you make, you make being a judge like a job anybody would want to do. Because nobody wants to be a judge. Like, if you're a judge now, you're like you're just a judge, or you're probably in like a crappy marriage and you just want to get out of the house. Because who, why else would you want to judge? You can't. You can tell. Just look at the faces of these judges when they're sitting at those seats. None of them smile. No one wants to be there. They're just there. It's like, oh, this is my life. I wonder what the internal dialogue is with themselves as they're driving to the arena to judge these fights. Ooh. Boy, I am living the dream right now. I'm about to get absolutely annihilated on social media after I make a really terrible 29-28 scorecard. It's just it's just I don't know. There's just no incentive to being a judge. There's just none. Like there's literally zero. And that's why we have the boxing scoring because all these judges like freaking boxing judges. They're just like, hey, you want to work overtime and cover this MMA event? Okay. Do you know what you're doing? Well, I've watched the UFC once. Okay, you're in. Here's $150 or wherever they pay these judges. There's no incentive to do it. That's why we're not going to get the best of the best. At first, like I thought, maybe we just get fighters in there. But at the same time, I think my best friend, A.K. Lee, told me this. And I actually agree now the more and more I think about it. It's tough because there's this camaraderie between fighters. And being around these fighters, like in person stuff, It's very clicky. It's very fraternity based. So there could be some bias stuff going on. There could be some things where it's like, oh yeah, I know this guy. I trained with this guy. I'm picking him. I don't care what happens. I played softball yesterday. The umpire was like friends with the other team. So we got hosed on like eight calls. And it pissed me off. But that's what I mean, that's what it could be like as you know, with, with with fighters being judges. I mean, there are some fighters who are just individuals and are on their own and they don't care what anybody thinks. Like, I think Vince Pichel would probably be, like, a tremendous judge. He doesn't give any Fs. Even if his best friend's mad at him, he wouldn't care. Like, those are the guys you want to judge. But I would love to have sort of an NFL system where what, what we need on these UFC broadcasts is we need to help educate. So we need to bring in somebody that actually knows how to judge. So, like, this would actually be great for John McCarthy, okay? I'm just, I'm I'm saving Bellator. This is what we're going to do. John McCarthy's out of color commentary. He's done. See ya. Goodbye. We'll bring somebody else in for color commentaries. Plenty of options. Bellator's got some great personalities. Where John McCarthy would be tremendous is, because we see his scorecard pop up all the time. And then he just, like, yeah, I scored a 10-9. Oh yeah, I scored a 10-9. Yeah, he landed a couple better shots. Like John McCarthy would be over like Rover if he just came in between rounds and justified his scoring for 30 seconds. Hey, I scored this a 10-8 for Patchy Mix, here's why. And then maybe the commentator could be like, the the commentator could be like, "Oh yeah, well why do not you score the second round for Aljamain Sterling if you're going to give Patchy Mix a 10-8 round?" Boom. But still, like that's what we need. And then John can explain. And then the UFC could do the same thing. Just bring somebody in who can be like, yeah, I scored at 10-9, here's why. Or I scored at 10-8, here's why. And then I think fans would get a better understanding. Now I will say this. I have noticed this year, there have been some there have been some egregious and some really shitty scorecards. But I will say that I feel like in some of these fights where we feel like there's going to be home cooking. Or things going the other way, we've gotten things right. Like the Benson Henderson, Benson Henderson's win against Islam Mammanoff is a perfect example. Because anybody who is at least, and I'm not a judging expert at all, but at least I'm trying to like figure out how this works. And Benson Henderson getting the nod there made perfect sense to me. But if you but if you watch Islam Mamanoff fight, fight Brett Primus, i thought not Brent Primus. Despite being taken down in all three rounds, I thought he won all three rounds against Islam Mamadov because he was on his back. He was going for submissions. He was landing damage from his back. He should have won the fight because Islam Mamadov just landed three takedowns and did nothing but take elbows to the top of his head. So Brent Perma should have won that fight. Benson Henderson should have won that fight. And he did. So they got it right there. And there are other cases where there's some bad scores. It is what it is. I feel like that has gotten a little bit better. But I just think we need to educate fans more. And I think a lot of the uproar and a lot of the people who get upset about things, like I have said many times, and I'm getting crushed for it, and I don't know why, that I thought watching Patricio Pitbull, AJ McKee, too, coming out of that fight, I had, there's no question in my mind that Pitbull won that fight. There was none. None. And the only people, and then I realized that the only people who are mad at me about that, We're either A.J. McKee fans or they bet on A.J. McKee. Or they bet on A.J. McKee and they're mad that they lost money. Go watch that fight by itself with no commentary. I guarantee you will see. And I watch it twice after. You guys watch it on Friday or that Friday night. I watch it Saturday morning. No commentary, no nothing. I scored it four rounds for Pitbull the first watch, and I watched it a second time. I still wouldn't hate a 49-46, but I scored a 48-47 surely for Pitbull. He won the fight. There's no controversy in my mind, in my eyes, after watching it that way. All right. I got to get out of here. Chinmaya, you get the final word, my man. Are you there? All right. We didn't get him. All right. That's it. See, it's one of those things where I thought we'd go for like 30 to 45 minutes and we end up going for 72 minutes. So you guys are awesome. Thank you for bringing in all the questions. By the way, I never even mentioned this, but I'm going to mention it right now. For those who are going to be – if you're listening right now on the podcast network – you're gonna get something more than the people who are here listen, are, are listening to. Okay, not only do you get these rants and these conversations, but for the podcast listeners, you get yourself an interview with the brand new interim Bellator bantamweight champion Raphael Stotts. He joined me. I spoke with him the other day on his victory tour, if you will, and we talk about the victory over Juan Archuleta. Sergio Pettis, and we talk about the big fight between Danny Sabatello and Leandro Ego that's going down June 24th. By the way, Rafion Stotts is hoping one guy wins over the other, and the answer may surprise you. So that interview coming up, you're listening to the Podcast Network in a matter of seconds, but that's it. By the way, preview show, live, 3 p.m. Eastern, MMA Fighting YouTube channel talking UFC Vegas 53. We'll probably talk some Taylor Serrano as well. For the boxing enthusiasts. And then Saturday we'll we'll have the people's pre-fight show. Post-fight show. All that fun stuff. It should be a fun weekend in MMA. And then don't forget next week. It's kind of flying under the radar. We got UFC 274. We got Charles Oliveira. Versus Justin freaking Gaethje. For the lightweight championship of the world. We got Rose Namajunas coming back against Carla Esparza. Finally Carla Esparza gets her title fight. We get Tony Ferguson versus Michael Chandler. Yes, we get Shogun OSP, but we still have those other three fights. And that's the gift that keeps on giving. So we'll talk about that a lot next week. But until then, everybody, have a heck of a morning. Have a wonderful day. If you're listening on the Podcast Network, Rafion Stotts joins us right now. ladies and gentlemen let us say hello to the brand new bellator interim bantamweight champion rafion Stotts. it is amazing to have this conversation because if, if memory serves me correctly, is maybe an hour after the news was reported that rafion Stotts signed with bellator him and i spoke and then we haven't spoken since oh yeah so we speak as the interim bantamweight champion of the world at least you are anyways <laughs> right. how's it going man
9: going pretty good man i'm back in houston um i stopped by i'm on my victory tour pretty much i stopped by my gym uh at uh, houston metro and uh houston to uh like say what's up to the guys um and yeah so i'm just chilling man living life got adrian and cameron uh smotherman over there hanging out we're gonna go to lunch
2: (laughs) there you go so i mean how does it all feel i mean it it seems like I mean, what is it? It's Wednesday as we record this right now, so it's been like about oh, five days since you became the interim bantamweight champion. Since that knockout of Juan Archuleta, how does it all feel?
9: Man, it feels good. You know, it was it's it's in finally. You know that I'm the champion. You know, I did everything for a reason, and uh, you know, I I spent like pretty much five days kind of with my family. Uh, we were in we just stayed in Hawaii uh, for a little bit and hung out. Where? Sweet Dream. Um, yeah. I guess we're going to Sweet Dream. But uh, yeah, we just chilled out with the fan for a little bit and um yeah, now I mean I feel like a champion. I'm ready for the next task now, you know, I'm ready for the next next opponent. So, feeling good.
2: There's a very competitive fight through two rounds. Yeah. Very close. Yeah. I knew this was going to be a very close fight. I felt like I felt like you were finally starting to get all like all the respect. Like the betting lines were big time in your favor. I also felt yeah. that in a weird way that Juan Archuleta might've been the overlooked, most overlooked fighter yeah, on the definitely. roster heading into the weekend. Did you feel that as well?
9: I definitely felt that. I mean, I was even like surprised that I was uh, the the favorite, you know, just given, you know, like people hadn't really known about me for uh, that long of a time. And and Juan is like a former champion. He's, I think, challenged for the belt or multiple belts uh, like three times, you know what I mean? So, uh, And he's always, he's always exciting, always a tough fight. I think he's, uh, I mean, he's 25 and three, I think it was, you know? Uh, so like he was like arguably one of my toughest opponents today. So I'm like surprised, you know, uh, that I was the favorite, but, um, but yeah, I, so I definitely think he was overlooked.
2: How did you feel the fight was going after two rounds? Like, I know you're in the fight. It's hard for you to score each individual round in your head, but, how are you and your team sort of seeing it after 10 minutes?
9: Um, me, myself, I feel like I was, like, down. Uh, I, I could have been – it could have been 1-1, one, one, um, but most likely I was down just because he was, like, controlling uh, – he was controlling uh, me on the cage. He got me down once, but he was, like uh, – he he had more cage, cage control. Um, I had more damage. I feel like my shots – I had them, like, cut and bleeding from the side of the head, but he was – He was definitely uh, he had more control and uh, my goal or my plan uh, was in the beginning to just kind of keep everything uh, kind of straight down the middle, keep everything uh, straight. But then also, you know, I knew he had like a really big gas tank or I expected his gas tank to be like a lot, a lot better than it was maybe. Um, So I was I was not like I was I just wasn't wrestling as hard. You know, I I was just trying to conserve my energy and then I was going to like kind of like pick it up in the third round. Um And I, hindsight, you know, I probably should have done more to like win those those early rounds, but I, I definitely think I was down.
2: So you throw the kick, Marlon marias esque if you will. It He runs into the knee, he goes yeah. down in a heap, and then you just jump on top of him, start landing those ferocious elbows, and then the fight is stopped shortly thereafter. Yeah. When he went down, what are you thinking? Because it's one of those situations where you're throwing something, it, it lands in a different way, and then he goes down, or you're just like, Oh my God, what the hell just happened?
9: Yeah, no, I when I my foot landed back. I kind of see him do that like little stanky leg motion or whatever. I, in my head, I'm like, kill. I gotta, like, eh, eh, eh. I gotta go and get him. I gotta get him right now. Um, so I think I like, as my foot landed, I like tried to throw a, a right hand and it like barely grazed him and he still went down and I just went on top and I was like, okay, I gotta freaking just, Decapitate this guy like in my head, I was like his head has got to fall off before I get off of this dude. Um, yeah, so that was going through my head, so I knew he was hurt, um, but I didn't know how bad he was hurt and I wanted him to be out of there. I also kind of knew the kind of the uh, that I was like down um, in the round, so I, I really wanted it, you know, I wanted him to get out of there and make a statement.
2: And you certainly did. I know he, uh, he protested the stoppage after, but he actually, yeah. he went back on social media not long after and was like, nope, referee made the right yeah. call. Well done. What did you think of him sort of protesting? Were you just like, yeah. what are you
9: talking he, about? He, or? He, he like, uh, I, I went over to say like, Hey man, uh, good job, man. Good uh, game plan at the beginning. And he was like, yeah, I mean, I wasn't out. Uh, that was bullshit, you know, good fight, but I wasn't out. I was just like, uh, I mean, you wasn't in. You was like, uh, I feel like you was out, bro. But I didn't say nothing, you know? Because I'm like, I don't really know what to tell you. I'm am going to go celebrate, I guess. I don't really know what to tell you. So, uh, but yeah, um, I, I just thought it was... I, I also thought, like, you know, I, I've been there. You know, when you don't really know what happened, you've been knocked out, you know what I mean? So, uh, I, yeah, I just was like... Uh, you'll find out, I guess, uh, later, you know? I didn't want to say, like, oh, no, you was not, I'm not going to argue with you right now because you kind of, like, you just had a traumatic experience, you know? I don't know.
2: I mean, taking the belts a- away from it, biggest win of your career?
9: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, 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 I would say so.
2: You said something that was super interesting after the fight when you were speaking to the media because mm-hmm. someone mentioned the I word of interim and you're like, I'm fine with it. Like until I'll hold the title until Sergio is ready to come back. And then, you know, hopefully everything falls into place and and we fight and we unify the title. So can you expound on that a little bit? Because a lot of people were kind of surprised by that.
9: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I have, uh, like trained with Sergio, like Sergio is like responsible for my kick. He's like responsible for, uh, like a lot of the techniques I do, you know, uh, and and he says the same thing about, you know, uh, a lot of the techniques he do. So like, like he's my boy and I don't want to like, if you have a brother, you don't want to fight your brother. Like if, if you don't have to, you know what I mean? So it's not like, um, it's not like for business, business wise. Yeah. I'll fight him. And I understand, you know, that has to happen, but it's not something I'm like jumping into, you know, I gotta, I gotta fight somebody. That means I gotta take something away from or I gotta hurt somebody that I like. You know what i mean um it's just not that's that ain't fun to me you know (laughs) this like hurting somebody i don't know like that is the blast for me (laughs) but uh so yeah so that's that's where i'm like um and then also for me uh best case scenario for me is that we both get uh kind of broke off a lot we get paid a lot we uh like it does a lot for both of our legacies um you know it's like worth something um at the end of the day and uh I was willing to fight him in the first round of the tournament. I wasn't ideal, you know, I would be rather it be like the, uh, the last, the last fight in the tournament. Cause then I know, you know, the winner gets a million dollars and, you know, thank you. Um, and then, you know, uh, th- th- he also goes on and does like big things. And, um, but, uh, what's up saying?
2: Good surge.
9: Yeah, sir. Yeah, Um. <laughs> so, so like I'm, I'm will, I was willing to fight him, but you know, it wasn't like uh something I was just like, like oh, I can't wait to fight this guy. You know what I mean? So um for for me, the interim just means you know when we do fight, it'll be bigger fight. You know, it'll be champ versus champ. I'll just have, I would have just won the uh, million dollar tournament. And to be honest, like um on a like popularity um like scale, surge is a lot more popular than me. Like a lot more people want to see surge uh fight than than want to see me fight. So um. So like, I feel like I got some work to do, also to, like uh just to like bring bring some eyes to the fight, you know what I mean, um, I feel like he has a lot of eyes on him already and and I'm not like really doing justice. I'm just kinda like you know uh i'm, I'm I was there at first, but now uh like i'll have I'll have a belt, you know, I'll have the uh grand Prix champion title behind me, um serge will be Sergio Pettis, the one and only you know what I mean the the comeback of the year guy and uh, I feel like it'll be worth you know more uh, if we fight now but again like when it happens when he heals up when he's ready to go
2: I feel like the two biggest stock boosts maybe of the entire year took place this past weekend you on Saturday the promo you cut with John was great and then yeah. a man who you could be fighting next, Danny Sabatello, who also got sure. a tremendous promo, had a dominant win over Jornal Lugo. He's getting ready to fight Leandro Ego on June 24th, and the winner of that will face you. Yeah. Have you watched Sabatello's fight yet? And I'm sure you've seen the clip of the promo and everything. What do you think?
4: I
9: haven't watched the fight yet. I still gotta watch it. I just watched uh uh Patchy, and I'm also like trying to like balance family time, but I watched Patchy's. Uh, and her Gucci's fight, and a little bit of uh, Barzola.
6: Barzola. Yeah.
9: Um, but um, yeah, I gotta watch. I gotta watch uh, Sabatello's. But I seen the highlights, and you know he looked he looked really good. Or no, did I watch Sabatello's? I might have watched Sabatello's. I think okay. I did watch Sabatello's. But I fell asleep. No, <laughs> no, it was <laughs> no. I did no. I did watch Sabatello's. Uh, but yeah, I, it was it was really good. No, he's really good, and uh, he talks a lot. So I'm excited. Like I want, I hope I get the to fight Sabatello, to be honest. You know? Uh he's he's really good on the ground, you know. He obviously he sucks on his feet, but uh he's really good on the ground. Uh so that that'll be super and I know he gonna talk some shit, so that'll be fun for me. I, I love talking shit, so that'll be fun for me.
2: He got to bring you to, uh, to Mohegan for that fight. So you could square off of the, yeah, so like, that'd be amazing. With, <laughs> with yeah, that platinum blonde hair I and the shades.
9: Head ass, I love that. I would love that his slim head, slim head. I I would love to, I would love to fight Danny Sabatello. No, he, I mean, he's also something, somebody that I can like get behind, not liking. Um, I don't know him personally, but I, I feel like from afar, I can get behind, you know, not liking the guy. So, uh, I'll probably go I'll go with that and uh, be able to you know, uh, drive some extra motivation.
2: There you go. Last thing for me, I know uh, you, you're spending some time in, in Houston with the friends and the fam. I don't want to take too much more of your time but to go get some lunch. But uh, what's interesting about your story is I feel – and it's funny that you trained at Extreme Couture because you were in the same room with Chris Curtis for a while. And I feel like your two stories are so incredibly similar that the UFC passed on you guys, that you were at these crossroads in your careers – yeah. He ends up in the UFC. He's having a tremendous run. You end up in Bellator. Yeah. Now you're the interim Bantamweight champion. If you could go back like five years, maybe even more, would you do exact same way or would you change a thing?
9: You know, I feel like the uh, the time I spent, you know, uh, kind of like hating MMA or hating the UFC, or I feel like those times, those formative years of me training – was the best for my uh, growth later on, and I don't know if I would be where I'm at now if it wasn't for those, so I would probably do it the same, you know. Um, I probably make some better uh, money decisions if I could, but um, I I would probably do it the same, just because I I feel so comfortable with like whoever I fight and whatever I do just because of the way I train uh, trying to get there. if if I would have if I would have uh gotten maybe in my opportunity sooner, you know, who knows if my work ethic or everything would have been kind of the same or if I, you know, would have took it uh, took uh for granted um, you know, uh the the the, the opportunities that I, I got. So I, I would probably do it the same.
2: Well said. And of course, uh the the man who put me on your radar years ago was Gerald Mearshart, who he's getting ready to fight this weekend as well. Yeah. So any uh, a- any words of wisdom for Mr. Meershard? I mean, he's had 7,000 fights, so he probably has heard it and seen it all, but maybe a, some, a motivational speech, if you will.
9: Yeah, Gerald, he don't need no uh, wisdom because he gives me all my wisdom. He told me once that a muskrat was a muskrat when I thought it was a, a raccoon or a beaver. <laughs> uh, he's just a, a savant of knowledge, and I know he's going to go out there and, you know, dominate and freaking the, the guy better not go to the ground with him because he's good at pe- putting people to sleep unlike bill cosby he don't use pills he uses hands i'm ready to, i'm ready for Gerald to freaking freaking uh knock the doors down and, and and uh and dominate
2: well said rafian you are the man congratulations enjoy the celebration tour if you will the interim bantamweight champion of bellator mma looking forward to seeing you fight Either Leandro Ego, I'm actually selfishly hoping for Sabatello as well. Me too. Uh, later on this I year.
9: Am. I want Sabatello, really. I do.
2: <laughs> Congratulations, man. Thank you for your time.
9: All right. Later, man. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.
0: The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA.